Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Ministry and Calling of Friendships, and it is part of the Awesome Friendships Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Many of you will remember uh, buddy, those buddy comedies of the 80s, Midnight Run, Blues Brothers, Spies Like Us, and we're only now starting to get over the influence of, of Ted and uh, Bill's excellent adventure on our vocabulary, <laughs> dude. Uh, I think my message today is illustrated by a scene from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles where uh, Steve Martin and John Candy are being warned that they're going the wrong direction. Remember that? <laughs> and... Uh, and, uh, of course, they ignore it and, and, and mock the guys that are trying to help them. And, and then as they're, they're careening between the two semi-trucks and, and uh, scraping the two semi-trucks, there's this moment when Steve Martin looks over at John Candy and he sees him as Satan. <laughs> With the, you know, the horns and everything. And, uh, you know, that's really what this sermon's about today. It's awesome friends... An awesome friend will keep you going in the right direction. An awesome friend will help you go the right way instead of the wrong way. Um, Lisa, but by the way, before I need to mention something that we're going to get into in the next two weeks, but uh, uh, not too deeply today, but there are three levels of friendship. Different people say it different ways, but I'll say it like this. <clears throat> There's intimate friends, and you can't handle a whole lot of intimate friends, maybe three Five, at the most, I think. You have intimate friends that you share everything with, and uh, they're, they're just intimate friends. And then the second level of friendship is influence. It's, you can have influence on a lot of people. depends on your capacity, your schedule, your life, your, your interest. You can, have inter- you can have influence on a lot of people. You can have dozens of people, maybe even some people can have hundreds of people that they have influence over. And you, you may talk to them once in a while, you may write them a note, they may come to you for advice. I have, I have a lot of influencers in my life. That they're, they're not intimate friends, but I can go find them when I need them, and they, have, and they take that role very seriously. And I know that some of them, I, I, wish, I wish I could be an intimate friend, but they're just, not, they're just at a place in life where we're not going to be intimate friends. We're not going to we're not, they're not coming over for Christmas dinner, and we're not going to take vacation together. That's not going to happen. But, but, but when they're with me, they're totally with me. And that hour we have, or that two hours, or those few minutes on the phone, or that email that we share, I get their full attention. I try to do that for other people as well. And then, then the final uh, category of friendship is care. People that you care about. And you can have hundreds of people that you care about. And you touch their lives, and they touch your lives, and you know you care about them. Now, here's the thing. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about some attributes of friendship today. We're going to talk about the ministry and calling of friendship. And these qualities that we're going to talk about, and these, these behaviors we're going to talk about today, you can apply them to all three levels of friendship. 
And um, as, I'm, as I'm getting into this series, and I'm studying it, and I'm thinking about it, I'm coming up with a couple of things. Number one, I'm coming up with this is a big deal to God, and I didn't realize it before. This is a big deal to God in the church and in the world. This is really important, this, this idea of friendship. And the second thing I'm, I'm realizing is, is I can do better. Keep me. I can do better at being people's friend at all three levels, with all three groups of people in my life. So maybe you'll come to those same conclusions. I hope you will. I hope you will come to those same conclusions, that this is important, that this is a big deal, and that you can get better. Lisa, a lady named Lisa, walked into a clinic called Bromley by the Bow, or Bromley by Bow Center in London. It's situated between ugly housing projects and nothing to look at. She was full of anxiety and filled with sadness that had ruined her life, paralyzed. She was once a happy person. She was, uh, she was such an enthusiastic and good dancer that the clubs in London would let her in for free because she would so energize the atmosphere. But she went to work at a center for the mentally ill and being with the mentally ill every day and seeing the horrible conditions they were in and seeing the bullying that would go on by the staff. And then when she would try to defend the mentally ill, the staff began to bully her. And it made her so upset and so paralyzed with grief that one day she couldn't get out of bed. And she was sleeping all day, only getting up to go to the store to get food for her cats and Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And she gained about 100 pounds and became nothing, this vivacious person. So she shows up at this mental health clinic. And uh, what was it, what's interesting about Bromley by Bow Center is they have several choices. You can, you can go in and see a therapist, or you can sign up for one of their 100 social prescription programs things like pottery and the exercise classes, community care outreach projects. And Lisa was prescribed the garden project in what is known, what was known as dog poop alley, and I'm using the word poop to be uh, um, delicate. It was uh, a big alleyway filled with broken glass, rocks, a broken down stage, and dog poop. Lots of it. And so she joined a group that was, their assignment was to turn dog poop alley into a beautiful vegetable garden. And there she met people. She met a working class man who had dropped out of school. She met Mr. Singh, this elderly man who had traveled the world and he had all kinds of stories about where he had been around the world, and she met several middle-class people who they all had in common is they couldn't shake the blues. Their common goal was to make this park beautiful. They weren't put in circles and led by a therapist to talk about their feelings. Instead, they were put in connection, a connection group with a goal. She discovered a homeless man who became a part of the group that was eligible for public housing, but he wasn't being given housing. 
So she got on the phone and she harassed members of the local housing council to give them housing and she succeeded. And they had a cafe and they would meet at the cafe after they got done working and they would talk. They weren't told, well, you got to talk about this, you got to say this, they just talked. And so eventually Elisa began to tell her story, how she got this way. And they began to tell their stories. She says this, I was almost desperate to reconnect with people. As she engaged with their problems and she engaged with their joys, she started to change. She said this, I stopped obsessing about me so much. I had other people to worry about. Eventually, Lisa stopped taking Prozac. Eventually, she lost 62 pounds. She met a gardener who she fell in love with named Ian and they finally moved away to Wales where she opened up a gardening center of her own. She had been terrified to leave her front door and had been crushingly self-conscious in front of people, but now she had been helped over that initial threshold by friendship. Friendship. There's the work piece as well that's important, but I want to focus today on the friendship. She said, I was really almost desperate to reconnect with people. Those two things that I had completely lost contact with, people and nature, had come back into my life again. Long before we developed our PhD programs to deal with anxiety and other aspects of mental health, the ancient book that now lives in your phone, as well as bound in leather, already told us that the ministry of that position is to be what we need to be what God wants us to be. I discovered, and as I posted on Facebook, shocked of how many people that it's just clear in the Bible Great heroes of the faith, people that we would lift up as the greatest, that would not have succeeded without friendship. They would not have done what they did. They would not have gone where they went. They would not have been the people that changed the world had not somebody cared about them. And, that, and, and they had not had intimate, influential, and caring friendships. So, here's two scriptures, or two of greatest Israel's heroes, three scriptures, about two of Israel's greatest heroes for whom being released to greatness required someone to obey the calling and ministry of friendship. The first is 1 Samuel 18 about King David. Now, before I read the text, you know the story, most of you, some of you don't, that's fine, that David was the anointed king of Israel, and he had become to attention of King Saul when he went down and killed Goliath, this giant that was threatening Israel. Hence, we have the legend of David and Goliath. He had already been anointed, secretly been anointed king, but he wasn't flaunting that. He went down. He was a very restrained young man and a very wise young man because he didn't flaunt his anointing or his position. He went down and he killed, took care of Goliath. He came to the attention of Saul, though, and Saul took him into his confidence. And he was also a player of the harp, and Saul, who was at this point a tormented, demoniac man, David would go and play his harp, and it would soothe Saul's jangled emotions. But Saul, of course, was an unhealthy man, mentally and spiritually unhealthy man, and he became jealous of David. Because people loved David, and David was so admired. And he began to uh, uh, assault him. 
So, in steps Jonathan, the son of, of Saul. And they meet in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And after David finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Keep those in mind, tunic, sword, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Now I want to jump over to the New Testament, and I want to read about another hero of the faith, and really a hero of Western civilization. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Before I read the scripture, let me give you a little bit of background on Saul. Saul was a zealot, a, a Jewish zealot who was determined to establish and see Israel's kingdom established on the earth and was tenaciously aggressive toward anything that would threaten his beloved nation of Israel. And he saw Christianity as a threat to the, his, to the future of Israel. And so as a zealot, he went after them. He went after these Christians and began to drag them into prison and have them murdered. And he became a terrorist. So the Christian church was afraid of him. But God got a hold of his heart. And God touched him one day as he was on his way to arrest Christians. He was on the road to a town called Damascus. And on the way to Damascus... A bright light shone from heaven, knocked him off his beast of burden, fell on the ground. He said, Lord, who is it? It was Jesus. He was blinded by that great light, and something like scales came over his eyes. And God told him to go to this man's house that I'm about to read to you about. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again, and he got up and was baptized. Now I want to jump to verse 26, and I want to introduce you to another friend in Saul's life, or Paul, who would be Paul. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. Barnabas, by the way, was, was not his original name. Joseph was his original name. The, the people in Barnabas was his nickname. And you know what it meant? How many, how many of you have a nickname? I had a nickname in, in elementary school. It was Tomato Face. That was my nickname. Because <laughs> when I would get embarrassed, I would turn red. I'm glad that didn't stick. I shouldn't have mentioned it, though, you know? <laughs> what, am I, what, what am I thinking? <laughs> but, I, but, but Joseph got a better nickname. <laughs> it meant son of encouragement. Imagine, imagine people looking at you instead of calling you Bill or Sue or George saying, 
son or daughter of encouragement. That would be a great thing, wouldn't it? That was Barnabas. But they were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. What is the ministry and calling of friendship? Because we see Jonathan following the ministry and calling of friendship. And because he did, it gave David a future. Because Barnabas and Ananias practiced the ministry of friendship, it released Saul to be the great hero of faith that we know today. So, how does it work? What are the components of the ministry of friendship? I will say, first of all, and I'm going to go to Jonathan for this, it's a calling to sacrifice for one another. It's a calling to sacrifice for one another. Selfishness is the saboteur of awesome friendships. For Jonathan, see, he had, he had his own life and he had his own agenda. He was to be the king of Israel. He was to be, he was the next in command. He would be heir to the throne. He met David. He loved David. He saw something in David. He had a decision to make. I can be threatened by David or I can love him. I can become his competitor or I can love him. I can be like my dad and be jealous of him and his success or I can love him and befriend him and enjoy him and enjoy a relationship with him. And he chose the unselfish. He made the sacrificial choice. He made the unselfish choice. Now, I don't know what unselfish choice your friendship's going to call you today, but I can guarantee you, if you're going to have awesome friendships, you're going to have to make some unselfish choices. You're going to have to make some sacrificial choices. You're going to have to give up some things. It may relate to your schedule. It may relate to your importance. It may relate to, to... it may relate to your opinions. I don't know what it will be, but you're going to have to give up something. For Jonathan, his love for David became the agenda. His love for David became the point. Jonathan wasn't just David's fan. You can be someone's fan and not be their friend. There's a big difference between fans and friends. Some of us know how to be fans. You can, you can be a fan of someone you don't like very much and you don't love very much, but you admire their ability or their talent or their charisma. But you don't, you don't want to sacrifice for them. You, fans fans are, are very fickle things, you know. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised how quickly people will start to boo the the New England Patriots and the Red Sox if they start losing. You'll be surprised how quickly it will be coach so-and-so's got to go. Because that's what fans fans do. Fans want you to win for them. Fans want you to make them feel a certain way. We're all like that. When When we're in the fan chair... We want the team to make us feel a certain way. We want them to perform a certain way because it makes us feel a certain way. And it's really all about us. Totally all about us. When we're friends, it's not like that. When you're someone's friend, you care about how they feel. 
You care about their future. You care about their life. Jonathan wasn't David's fan. He was David's friend. Fans are all about your past. What have you done for me lately? Not the distant past, but they're all about what you do yesterday. Friends are all about your future. So there's three things that David, uh, Jonathan rather, gave to David. He, it's more than three, but uh, I, I'm not going to take the time to break it down as much as it could be broken down. So I'm just going to give you three things. A robe, the sword, and bow. I'm going to put those together. You could separate those and have other analogies, but I'm going to, he gave him a sword, a bow, a belt. The sword represents, repre- or, I'm sorry, the robe rather. The robe represents your sacrifice of a coveted future. The first thing that Jonathan gave David was his robe. <clears throat> that robe symbolizes his stature, his importance, his rank. It was a kingly robe. It was the robe of a prince, rather. If you please, for, for you see, Jonathan was the heir, apparent to the throne. Jonathan was the one, logically, to step on the throne of Israel after the death of his father, Saul. And so Jonathan, in reaching out and taking his robe off, his body, and giving it to David, was saying, I give up my throne for you. I give up my status for you. I give up my rank for you. I give up my fame for you. I give up my standing for you. I give up my stature for you. I'm not asking you to give me stature. I will give you stature. Do you give people stature? Do you give people honor? Do you know how to honor people? We're not living in an honor culture today. We're not living in a culture that gives honor. We're we're, we're living in a call-out culture. We're living in a shame culture. But the church of Jesus Christ, people who are followers of Christ, people who are serious about following Christ, will rediscover what it means to give honor to others, what it means to respect them, what it means to exalt them, what it means to put them at a high and lofty place in your life. If for no other reason that they are, that they are image, in the image bearers of God, if no other reason... See, when you learn the art of friendship, you learn, and I learn to give it all the time, everywhere we go. And we give it to people who deserve it more, more or less. We give it to people who don't deserve it because we honor people because they are made in the image of God. And some of you, by the way, do that really, really well. I watch you, and I'm impressed. The second thing he gave them was his sword, and his bow. Now, you may not realize what a fabulous gift that was, but the Philistines uh, had, had prohibited Israel from making swords. And so there weren't many swords around. That was a very valuable thing. And uh, there were only a few swords in Israel. And the Philistines, they had not allowed the Israelites to have blacksmiths, and so it was a pretty rare thing. And it was a what, what was the sword, though? It was a short sword, and it was a primary weapon of self-defense. An awesome friendship. If you're going to have awesome friendships, you've got to stop being so defensive. You've got to give up. Awesome friendships and defensiveness doesn't mix. Yeah, there are two sides of that coin, by the way. Of course there is. But a necessary step in building an awesome friendship is to remove defensiveness from the relationship. 
Awesome, defense, awesome friendships are not like walking on eggshells. You're not always worried you're going to offend them. You can't have an awesome friendship if the person is making you feel like you're just on the verge of offending me all the time. It's too difficult and tedious and painful. Now, I know some of you, I, didn't, I can't see real well up here, but I, I imagine somebody poked somebody. I imagine some spouse poked another spouse. I told you you were too touchy. <laughs> listen, here's, here's how to listen to preaching. Let me tell you, you a, little, a little seminar on how to listen to preaching. Whatever you hear, take personal responsibility. If you're in a relationship and the other person's too defensive, ask yourself, what can I do to make them less defensive? How can I make it feel safe for them to hear my criticisms? What am I doing that's making it feel unsafe for them to hear my criticisms? I must get better at making this friendship feel safe. If you're on the other side of the equation, you're the one who's getting offended all the time. What can I do to stop being so touchy? What can I do to stop being so defensive? How can I think differently so that I don't put up my guard every time they speak to me about something that they think I could do better? Awesome friendships are comfortable spaces. I, 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 I thought this was really interesting in this story that... that David didn't need to go home. David didn't have to go home. Did you notice that? If you, if you read the whole text, then I'd realize you probably didn't. David didn't have to go home because he was at home with Jonathan. That's the way an awesome friendship is. It doesn't matter where you are with that person, you're home when you're with that person. The third thing he gave him was his belt. The belt it's a sacrifice. It's, it, I believe it's a sacrifice of emotional security because the belt is what held the robe in place so the man could go without tripping. It would tie the robe up so he could run and go to battle without tripping. And In other words, Jonathan was saying, I'm going to worry about what trips you up, David, and not just what trips me up. I'm going to make adjustments in my life to stop from causing you to stumble. It, it, it fits with Romans 14, 21, which says it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. That's the spirit of awesome friendships. It might be, it might be the jokes that you tell. You know, I, back in the day, I used to tell some jokes that I don't tell anymore because those jokes would be offensive and would, would, would trip people up. It might be language that we use. It might, even be, it might even be that bear that you feel you have to have because that's what makes you comfortable is to have a bear. That's what calms you down. But your friend's an alcoholic. Your friend has a problem. They can't stop like you can. If you love or drink. Paul says it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause my brother to fall. The friend becomes first. Uh, it, it can also mean I'm going to be willing to give up those things that make me feel emotionally balanced. We all have those things in life that make us feel emotionally balanced. Just those things we do. You know, I, I like uh, Sunday afternoon after everything's over and 
we get out of here, and for me, it's about 1 o'clock, usually I get out of here, and I've usually been up for a long time, and got a lot of intensity, and going and get ready for the service. You know, one of my favorite things to do in the fall of the year is to go watch a, a football game. Like, you know, I like the Patriots, but I'll watch any, almost anybody. And, uh, you know, that kind of sets my emotional balance. I, I let, sit in my, my recliner, and uh, I usually go to sleep from the white noise of the people cheering, you know. But I made a decision a long time ago. I said, you know what, God? I'm going to put people first. And I'm never, ever going to say to my family or friends, if they want to do something on Sunday afternoon, I will never say, no, i got to go watch the game. No, you are more important than a game. You're more important than what I enjoy doing to relax. There's that... There's that, there's that um, skit years ago. I, I may have been in, in, we talked about 80s uh, uh, buddy movies. It may have been in the 80s. I think it was when Carol King wrote the song, You Got a Friend. Remember that? Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you gotta do is call. You know, great song. I can't sing. I got the tune all wrong, but anyway. Uh, maybe you saw that skit. The Saturday Night Live skit, Steve Martin and Carol King were in the skit. And uh, and uh, he's walking her home and she invite, he, he, he says, you know, uh, can I come up? She said, no, I'm writing a song. I'm working on a song. And so, did somebody see this? Remember this? And, and, and so she goes up, Steve Martin's down in the alleyway, whatever, the street, and he gets attacked by a mugger who starts stabbing him. And as, he, as he's dying, he hears the words, all you've got to do is call. You can call out my name. He heard those words. You can call out my name. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. Call out my name. He hears those words, so he starts to yell, Carol, Carol. And uh, she couldn't hear him because she was singing too loud. And when she heard the news later that he had been killed and he had died, she said, that's too bad. She, so she went and wrote, it's too late, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us are like that, man. We're singing our song so loud, the song of our life and what we like to do. I'm amazed at the insensitivity that we have sometimes. The insensitivity that we have. We're singing our song, we're doing our life, and what's important to us so, is so loud that we don't have room to make adjustments to hear a friend who's calling out our name. The second element of the ministry of friendship is your calling to defend another. Your calling to defend another. I want you to look in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 4. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 4. David, I mean, Jonathan, hears his father just railing against David. And I want you to look at what, or listen and we'll look at what Jonathan said. Jonathan, it says in verse 4, spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Jonathan was so convincing that his father agreed that he was right 
And the text tells us that things were back as they were for a time. David was brought back into the palace and everything was cool for a little while. I understand there's a toxic friendship. We're going to preach about toxic friendship in the next, next two weeks where we defend bad behavior and where we protect bad behavior, my friend. That's not what we're talking about. I know there's a problem with protecting bad behavior because of a relationship. I know there's such a thing as toxic tribalism, but there's also such a thing as awesome friendships. I also know that a friend will not always see your critic's point of view. I said a friend will not always see your critic's point of view. There's that uh, um, press conference that stands out in my mind where Bill Parcells was in the coach of the New England Patriots and a reporter criticized the opposing coach that day. And Parcells goes, you jerk. I don't want my friends to protect my bad behavior. And I want them to always be willing. I may not always want it, but I believe that's important that if you're an awesome friend of mine, you will call me on it if I'm doing something that's horrible or dangerous or bad or, or poor quality. I'm hurting the church. I'm hurting my family. I want you to call me out on it. But I would love to hear one time that somebody talked bad behind my back and one of you responded, you jerk. Would you just like that? Would you like to have a friend that would just have your back like that? That if somebody started to talk badly about you, and they might, they might get in your face and talk badly to you, but they would not let somebody else do that because there's a loyalty and a friendship. I, I love this story of Pee Wee Reese and and uh, Jackie Robinson, now, Frank Robinson passed away this week, but, but Jackie Robinson, the first African-American baseball player to play in the, in the, in the uh, Major League Baseball, uh, some of you know the story, he, they were playing in Boston one time, and the crowd was, was really on Jackie and yelling racial slurs at him, and uh, Pee Wee Reese, a southern white guy, of course, calls a timeout, and Jackie's on second base, I believe it was, and he goes out in front of the crowd and puts his arms around Jackie Robinson. In no way he could address the crowd, of course, but he, he addressed the crowd, believe me. He said, this man is my friend. Because of Jonathan's friendship, David was preserved to be king. Jonathan was the key, man. Jonathan could have got David killed because David trusted him. It's the people you trust that get you killed. It's the people you trust with your secrets, the people you trust with your feelings, the people you trust with your time, the people you trust with influence and authority in your life. Those are the people that can either save your life and keep you going the direction that God has for your life, or they can get you hurt. The third element of awesome friendships is the calling to release one another. First Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. Jonathan had just given David the sign that things were not okay in the palace and that his dad was going to kill David. And David and Jonathan were forced to say goodbye 
as David would then take off and hide in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. Jonathan had just given David that sign. In the Bible, the text tells us that they wept together, that they wept together. Jonathan knew that David had to go. Jonathan was releasing David. So the third characteristic of friendship is when you love someone enough to release them to be what they were intended to be. Sometimes that means physical absence. Sometimes it means just letting someone be themselves. It certainly means that they don't have to explain themselves all the time. And it always means you want them to go and succeed whether you can go with them or not. This is a great principle. Without Ananias and Barnabas, there would be no Apostle Paul. Paul would have died, as far as we know, with scales on his eyes. Isn't that interesting? That God said, I'm going to put these scales on your eyes. It's going to take a friend to take the scales off your eyes. He would have gone on unfilled with the Holy Spirit. But it, it, isn't it interesting that God said, the only way you're going to have the scales fall off your eyes and the only way you're going to be filled with the Spirit is if somebody loves you, if somebody cares about you, if somebody is your friend. Paul would have remained disconnected from the church, which he became the greatest apostle and revealer of grace if Barnabas hadn't welcomed dangerous Saul into the fellowship of believers in Jerusalem. <clears throat> now Saul was going to go places and be what Barnabas and Ananias could never be. Barnabas never became, uh, the, he didn't become the great apostle that Paul became. Ananias, we never hear from him again. But without their ministry, we would not have the impact of Apostle Paul. There are Saul's in this place this morning waiting to be Paul's. If the Ananiases and the Barnabases in this room will start befriending and releasing their greatness. There might be a King David in this room if somebody in this room will figure out how to give up their robe and their sword and their belt. If somebody in this room, if you will begin to embrace the ministry of friendship, if you will quit worrying so much about your own status and your own importance, and you will start to be that conduit of blessing that God has created you to be. There's a lot of people who are just starving for encouragement. You know that? There are a lot of people, a lot of us are just starving for encouragement. Barnabas and Jonathan ministered, administrated and manifested the ministry of friendship and encouragement so beautifully and so dramatically. In fact, there's this great scene when David has ran and he's running for his life from Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 23. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. David was afraid and he was discouraged and he didn't know if he was going to live and the Bible says, Jonathan said, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be the king of Israel. That's an awesome friend right there. You will be the king of Israel and I will be second to you. Do you, somebody, somebody say amen this morning. Do you see that? Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant with, with the Lord. And Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. Think of that. Jonathan's dad is after David. They're out in the wilderness. 
And Jonathan goes and strengthens him in the Lord. One of the Peanuts comics, we have Linus has just written the comic strip, right? And he wants Lucy's opinion. So, so he goes to Lucy and said, uh, read this and tell me if you think it's funny. And Lucy's reading it and you see her grinning a little bit. And then she goes, Linus, who wrote this? And uh, he said, well, Lucy, I wrote it. And she said, uh, the next frame of the cartoon, she says, well, then I don't think it's very funny. <laughs> Linus says in the next frame, big sisters are the crabgrass in the lawn of life. <laughs> hey, don't be the crabgrass in the lawn of life, okay? I loved uh, Devin McCourty's, some of you saw that, it was all over the internet, pre-game speech to his defensive backfield. And he, he said, this morning I was reading, did you hear this, you see that? Devin McCourty is screaming to his team teammate. This morning, I was reading Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I believe it's verse 9. And it said, when one falls down, the other lifts him up. Today, we're going to lift each other up. We're going to win this game because we're going to lift each other up. That's what God is saying to the church today. You know that? That's what God is saying to Bethany Community Church. The thing that matters, the thing that will cause Bethany Community Church to go to the next level is the ministry of friendship. When you and I decide we're going to be Ananias and we're going to be Jonathan's and we're going to be Barnabas's to other people. I really appreciate, by the way, the fact that many of you are so supportive of this church and of me personally. I don't feel unsupportive. I appreciate that you pay your tithes. You you volunteer for ministries and you show up weekend after week and you participate by singing and, and you clap sometimes when you can. <laughs> Nancy and I are over there, we're trying to help you. One, two, one, two. But you do, you participate. But Christ makes it clear that the gold standard for human behavior is ministry of friendship. Can you pray about adding that to your repertoire of spiritual behaviors? I'm glad you do those, you know, the big four we talk about. I'm glad you do the big four. But can you add a fifth? Somehow I think, you know, if you take your hand, you got these four fingers. I think, you know, tithing and uh, regular church attendance, daily devotion, quiet time, and and uh, serving in a ministry, I think that's four things. But if you want to really have a grip, you need your thumb. So I think we need to add the thumb at Bethany. That would be the ministry of friendship. That I'm going to go find people that I'm going to bring into my life. And it's not going to be me and mine sneaking into church, enjoying the service, giving the offering, sneak out, go home. It wasn't God good today. <laughs> It's going to be coming in, even, in, even into this room, looking around. Who needs connection today?
I'm connected, maybe. Maybe I got my little connection. I'm good. But who's not connected? Who's the Lisa in the room? Who's the Lisa? Who's the Lisa who just needs somebody to have lunch with? Who needs somebody to tell her story to? And she wouldn't need some of those other things. She wouldn't need all that Ben and Jerry's ice cream if she had a friend who cared about her. So let's do it. I want our prayer partners to come get in place. We're going to have communion. I hope maybe you'll come down and pray with a prayer partner today about a friend or someone that you know God is calling you to be a friend to.